Let's have a word of prayer. We'll pick it up in verse 19 or chapter 19, verse 1. Father, we who are called by your name, Father, we who have been redeemed, we who have been sealed, we who have a new hope, we, Father, who have a faith uh, and a love of God poured into our hearts, Father, may we hear. Uh, Lord, it... We need your help in the most desperate ways. And Father, I pray that you will help us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, in this world that just presses us relentlessly, Father, may we hear what is going on. To your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on the very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, if you take Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, uh, and you compress it and you watch what happens in 19.1, then you're looking at about 11 months of walking. Okay, when you start adding all the issues in, you start adding all that had happened, uh, the waters, um, um, the, the, the manna, the quail, um, the parting of the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh, the sweet water, the bitter water turning to sweet water. You're looking at about 11 months and now they are at Sinai and they are at the Mount of God, which is the place where the bush was lit up but not consumed. And Moses has returned. Last week we looked at it. We've seen that Jethro came and Jethro gave his son-in-law um, some counsel, some phenomenal counsel on, on how to take care of this thing, uh, this that they were into. You've got to understand that there's about two million people um, out camping. Uh, so you, you just don't move two million people on a hiking trip. And do, 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 do. No, you, you have stragglers and Amalekites were hitting them. You, have, you had a lot of stuff that was, that was happening there. So when you look at the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out, people try to say, what, they've been out three months. No, it's running around. We're coming back in and we're probably looking at 11 months um, of camping. Okay. Um, Verses... Let me read verse 2. When they set out from Rephidim, and they'd come to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness, and there there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Okay, Mount Sinai. Now, verses 3 through 8 is is basically... um, I don't have any better way of describing it, but that familiar pattern. Okay, it's a little more condensed. It's a little... It's shortened... Uh, but it, it is, as Yogi Berra would say, uh, deja vu all over again. And here we go again. And, and I, I see this in our lives. I see this in the lives of the church. Uh, and, and what we do, it's the same thing. Moses went up to God and Yahweh called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. Okay. Uh, if you looked at this, I, I see in a really cool um, outline for these verses three through five. Uh, you have the preamble, the prologue, and the stipulations with the praise. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. But anyway, uh, it's it's the same thing that is happening. God reminds who made the covenant. He did. I made a covenant with Jacob. And you are reaping the benefits of that covenant. Okay? Have you ever thought about that? God made a covenant with Jesus. Who gets the benefit? Jesus didn't need the benefit. Had no need for it. I didn't even need to leave heaven. We could have just hung out. And yet, it's a, it's a, it's a pattern that continues to go over and over and over. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how, now watch verse 4, because this is a cool picture, and this is what God says. 
You yourself seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Remember, he's taken him back to where? To his mountain. Remember, Moses went to the mountain. He saw the bush that wasn't consumed as though it was on fire. And God made a promise to Moses then. I'm going to send you and you're going to bring them back to me here. Guess what? We're back. We're back. And the assembly accepts, accepts it. Why? If they didn't accept it, they wouldn't be standing at the foot of the mountain. They accepted it. God says, here's what I offer you. They said, we'll take it. See, God had sent Moses and now it is fulfilled. And they, and, and, and here we have the children and they're now with Moses. And now with Moses. And then he uses this metaphor here. And it's an amazing metaphor. He says, I bore you on the wings of eagles. There's a breed of eagle in that area that um, will pick up its child and it will fly with it to great altitude, somewhere around ten to 15,000 feet, and then drop it. Okay? It's teaching it to fly. But what happens is, is the mother will circle beneath it until it gets it figured out. And if it doesn't get it figured out, it'll slide underneath it and catch it on its back and its wings. And then it flies and circles back up again and dumps the little bugger off again. And we're going to do this and you're going to get it. But it has this thing where it will circle underneath. You can watch them circling. And these chicks will... Well, I don't know what an eagle says, but if I was one, I'd be doing a serious, okay, and then about the first time mom caught me on her back between her wings, I'd say, I'm in, okay, we can do this. I was trying to figure out if she's mad because I didn't clean my room. (laughs) It takes me 15,000 feet and drops my butt out of the sky, okay? But but God uses that metaphor, and he says, watch what this is, how this works, um, and, and, and do I look at that because he uses that metaphor there. Think about what he did. He gathered Moses to the bush and said, you will be my messenger. You will take a message. You will be my prophet. But Moses, you will also be my priest. Why? You will bring my people back to to me and he says but i want you to understand something moses who's doing it i bore you as with the wings of an eagle i brought you back i bore you back to myself who's he talking about israel i'm bringing you back god do you understand that god went after his children he went after them Now watch what he says in verse 5. Now watch watch what happens. Verse 5. Now then. Okay, now my Bible, New American Standards, has one of the greatest words that you've ever seen in your life is next. What does it say? If. Then he gives three titles. Okay, well, he's already given three titles. He gives two more titles. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be what? Here's title number one. It's literal. Do you know what the literal translation is? A New American Standard right here calls it my own possession. You know what the literal translation is? Special treasure. Do you know whose special treasure he's talking about? It's his special treasure. Keep that little word that I gave you. If you will be my special treasure, you will be, what did he say next? Among the peoples of all the earth, you shall be a kingdom of what? 
priest. And you will be a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Alright? That's totally cool. Okay? Why? Look what he sticks right in the middle of it. Alright? It's great to be... God's own possession, a special treasure. It is great to be a kingdom of priests. It is great to be a holy nation. But look what he stuck right in the middle of it. See that? Look what it says there. All the peoples for all the earth are mine. I want you to understand something. It's mine. It's mine. I don't want you to forget my sovereignty. I give you these special titles. See, this is one of the things that I see today. I see people who want to be Christians. I want all the accolades. Look, look at it. How many? I was reading Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon just freaked me out. He says, how many men and women in the kingdom of God? Now, this is late 1800s. Want to be hoisted, hoisted up onto the shoulders of men and carried out as a great conqueror to the accolades of men when they carried your king out on a cross. But we want that. We want the titles. We want to be called reverend or pastor or Christian or godly person or godly man or whatever it is. We want that. We want to hear it. Come on. I need some attaboys. I've had a bad week. Tell me how good I'm doing. And yet he sticks right smack in the middle of that. What? All the peoples of the world and all the earth are mine. Okay, you know what he's saying there, right? You ain't got a whole lot to do with this. Not only do you do not have a lot to do with this, you don't even have room for an accolade. That's fascinating, this thing. He gives these special titles. They're phenomenal. You will no longer call me master. You will call me friend. I like that. And yet, how many of us want to hear the attaboys? We want the accolades. Tell me how good I'm doing. Um, let me take you over to another text. Second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. You are a chosen race. Now, here, you know, I hear a lot of people tell me, well, you don't really pay a lot of attention to 1 Peter because that was written to... To Jews, Jewish Christians, because he says, you know what? These are to those who have been scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay? Really? Is that what he's saying? But those are the same people who said, you know what? I wouldn't spend a lot of time in the letter of Hebrews because that was written to... Okay? I disagree emphatically. Why? Here's why. You are chosen race. Then he makes this statement. A what? A royal priesthood. Okay, that's not Israel. Israel's not a royal priesthood. What got Saul in trouble? King Saul. Anybody remember? Well, no, it ain't his pride. Get, our pride gets us all in trouble. But he did something. That got him to trouble and God says, you are not going to carry the throne, nor will any of your seed carry the throne. Why? What did he do? He made an offering. Okay. Who does that? Okay. But Saul was classified as what? Royalty. All right. The church is what? Royal priest. Ruling priest. The nation of Israel is what? Priestly nation. Priestly nation. But they're not royalty. They have a king who sits over them. See the difference? Okay? So when I read... Listen, there will be... Are there, are there Jews in the church? Absolutely. Always have been. The question is, are there any Gentiles? 
Okay? Yes. But in the church, they will rule with Christ. Where will Christ be? On the throne of David. And who will be the priesthood nation? Israel. Because it says all the nations will be doing what? Coming in and out of where? Jerusalem. The city of David. Okay? See, we, we, we really like to complicate things. Okay? But he's bringing it all together and he's saying, yes, you are the special treasure to me. Absolutely, you are a special treasure. All right? You are my possession. You are a kingdom of priests and you are a holy nation. All right? Don't forget how he started that verse. If, if it's, it goes back to obedience, divine blessing. Why? It is all mine. It is all mine. Then verse, <clears throat> speak these words, verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Verse seven says, so Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he said before them in these words, which Yahweh had commanded. He spoke before him. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to pay attention to. And all the people answered together and said, what did they say? All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. Okay, now this is, this is what I'm talking about, deja vu all over again. How, how many times have you seen this happen? Why did you bring us out here to die? We'd have been better off if we'd have been eating links and, 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 and dead food and baking bricks for the Egyptians. Why? We ain't got no water. We ain't got to eat. What are we going to do? We don't, there's not even a place to be buried out here. Anything you ask, we'll do. It's just like Christians. It's just like dealing with Christians. Did he say that? Yes. Then why are you whining? Well, you ain't doing it fast enough. Verse 9. Yahweh says to Moses, Behold, I shall come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you. What does it say next? Forever. What? Okay, now look. God isn't stupid enough to hear the voices of the Israelites and say, we'll do whatever you say. Yeah, right. All right. We have about 11 months together and you're not doing well with it. And it ain't like I haven't made myself seen. It ain't like I haven't shown myself faithful. It isn't like I haven't shown myself honorable. It isn't like I ain't showing you that I'm working here. And yet within moments, you start bellyaching, you start grumbling, you start turning on the leaders that I put in place. Why? Because it ain't going the way you want it. But tell them, Moses, I will come as a cloud when I speak to you. And when they see that cloud, they're going to say, Moses is with Yahweh. He's with Yahweh. And the people will hear when I speak. And by the way, I will do this forever. Okay? So now then, you keep the forever there in verse 9, and you pick up the verse 5 if, and you see how this covenant thing works. There is a responsibility. It, I want, the first thing I see is whose plan is it? It's God's plan. Moses is but a tool. Do we understand that? I wonder if we understand that today who sit in here. Do we understand that what we're doing, everything that is going on in our life, is not your plan? Did you know that? It ain't your plan. Now, you may like some of the things that are going on. You may dislike some of the things going on. But you know what? When it's all said and done, it ain't your plan. 
God's plan. Oh, by the way, did you know that it's always been God's plan? Down to the nanosecond. It's all God's plan. You're just kind of cruising along. Oh, but it's still God's plan. But you don't understand. It's still God's plan. See, it's God's plan. And God has already proven it. Okay? Now watch what he does. And Yahweh said, also says to Moses, go. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention. Because we read this and we just say, Okay? And it's just God, you know, Yahweh being Yahweh and Moses being Moses and the Israelites being Israelites. Look what he says. Yahweh also says to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. Oh, and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Stop right there. You know what another term for consecrate is? To make sacred, ordain, set it aside, get ready. Did you notice something interesting there? Yeah, three days. Well, that's just like Jesus. Ain't nothing like Jesus. What's he saying? You have two days to prepare for me. On the third day, I'm there. Let me ask you a question. How many of us prepare to be in the presence of Christ? How many of us take time to prepare to be in the presence of Christ? How many of us take as much time as what we're going to figure we're going to wear with the understanding that I'm going into the presence of God? You know what I see in this? God ain't playing. And I know he ain't playing. You know why I know he ain't playing? He showed up on the third day. You know what the people did? Trembled. It scared him. Now listen, this is kind of odd, don't you think? He's already redeemed them. He's already done great wonders in their presence. He's already showed himself faithful. He's already said, you know what? I've made a covenant with you. You're my people. This is what I'm trying to get at here in this text. We read over that and say, well, you know, you've got two days to get them ready. And get a bath. Take a bath. You're going to go see Jesus. Take a bath. Is that really what they did? Not with the word consecrate. Not with the word consecrate. See, consecrate says, I want you to deal with the inside. Wash your garments deals with the outside. He says, when you come in to see me, when I show up, I want you ready. Why? Because we're getting ready to worship. And I want you to spend some time preparing. I want you to think about it. How serious is this? There's two days of preparation. There's an inward preparation for the meeting of God. And it will be mirrored on the outward preparation. When I see people who dress very casually and I just got my, my flip-flops on and all the rest of it, listen, I don't mind being casual. I don't have any problem with that. But what are you doing if you're going to go see Christ? What are you doing if you're going to go into the presence of God? Well, you don't understand, dude. I am into the contemporary worship. Whoa, dude. You don't understand consecrate. And if I was you, I'd be, I'd take two days. Now listen, that's throughout scripture. Paul chapter 12, verse one. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. What? Present yourself. What? Holy and acceptable before God as a living sacrifice. 
This is your this is your reasonable work of what? Worship. I have people who call, do you have contemporary or do you have traditional services or a blended service? They said, no, we have living sacrifice services. That's how we worship. What? They don't usually visit. Do you understand how arrogant that is to tell God what you're going to do and how you're going to do it? And you know what is scary about it? It's the norm. It's the norm. How important is this? Let them be ready for the third day. And on the third day, Yahweh will come down to the Mount Sinai and at the sight of all this. Now, I want to show you how important this is. Look at verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, beware. Now, remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the covenant people. These are people I promise. These are people I promise that you will be the ruling tribe. You will be a tribe of priests. You Remember, you are a special treasure. But you, you set a boundary, all right? Set a boundary. Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain, what happens? Shall be put to death. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely stoned. He doesn't even want you to touch the person who has violated God's pattern for worship. Don't even touch him. He shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. What? That sounds mean. This must be that old mean God of the Old Testament. Not like the really nice, gracious God of the New Testament. Really? Read Revelations. It seems depressing. What is he saying? I am holy, you ain't. That's what he's saying. And he says, and I'm calling the shots here. What? All that is in the earth, all that is on, all of the people are what? Mine. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down to the mountain to the people and he consecrated them. He made them clean. It took two days to prepare to go into the presence of God. Now, let me ask you a question. We're under the new covenant. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, When do I come into the presence of God? The easier question is, when do you leave the presence of God? Okay. Why does the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 say, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your reasonable act of worship. How do I do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Okay. Renew your mind. Why? You should be ready to be consecrated. When? All the time. Why? You're in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God. He went down and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. Verse 15 says, He said to the people, Be ready. The third day, do not go near a woman. Okay, now what he's, what he's saying is that once you've consecrated yourself, stay pure. Even to the point that you do not touch your wife. Okay? So it came about on the third day when it was morning. There was thunder and lightning flashes and thick cloud on upon the mountain. A very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp, what happened? What happened? How many people in the body of Christ today tremble when they think about being in the presence of God? Do you see, how can people have arrogance? Well, you don't understand. I am, have my doctorate of theology. 
Look at the church today and tell me how it fits in this. It's amazing stuff. And Moses, you know what's a really amazing about this? Let me take you to another text, a kind of a commentary on this text. Um, the, the letter to the Hebrews. I know you're not supposed to read that. You're not Hebrew. But anyway, I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12. It's kind of a funny text. Well, it's not funny, but it's, I like it. Verse 20, speaking of this incident, out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20, says this. And it's fascinating, the writer of this letter. For they could not bear the command. Why? If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned? I mean, the nation was going, whoa. Now, you know what's amazing about this phrase right here? What had they just said? All that the Lord says and commands, will do. Okay, spend two days, consecrate yourself for my appearance on the third day. And once you've consecrated yourself, by the way, I don't even want you to be with your wives anymore. What? Oh, by the way, if any beast even gets on the slope of the mountain, kill it. What? But then on the third day, he shows up. What happens? Ah! I need to get out of here. He says, how can we do this? But look what it says in verse 21. I like this because you don't get it out of the book of Exodus. And so terrible was the sight that what? Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. Now, this is the guy who's been hanging out with God. Now, he, he, you'll see that in, or in Deuteronomy chapter 9, but we're not there yet. <laughs> okay. Do you understand that? I really... This is a frustration of mine. They were ceremonially clean. And then in verse 16, they just freak out. They tremble. And so did Moses. And then verse 17 was one of the great understatements of Holy Writ. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. <laughs> I bet they did stand at the foot of the mountain. <laughs> I bet I am not going anywhere that has an upgrade to it whatsoever just in case. If it ain't pointed down, I ain't standing on it. Now Mount Sinai was all a smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire and its smoke descended like a smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. And when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And Yahweh came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and Yahweh called down to Moses on the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And you know Moses has got a serious case of going on. This isn't pleasant. I want to go back to talking to the bush. I don't understand that. You, have you ever been in a violent thunderstorm where the thunder just keeps rolling and it claps and rolls and claps and rolls? I'm talking one of these um, nasty buggers. that you, you don't see them really in Colorado because they kind of blow through quickly. But I, I've seen them in the south and I've seen them in the Midwest, man, where it gets black. I mean, and you can sit and watch it get black and all of a sudden it starts to clapping and lightning and flashing. And when it flashes, it takes your breath away. And when the thunder goes, it's like... Yeah, it makes your heart change its beat. Okay, throw in there some angel blowing the tuba, the ground shaking, all the cloud coming through, and you thinking, who in the group didn't get consecrated? We're about to die. You know, I will be guilty by association. And then before Moses... Moses, come up here. Are you nuts? The ground is shaking. Where's the burning bush? Let me go back and quarrel with the bush. I know it's holy ground. I'll take my boots off. 
Now, let me ask you a question. How many times have you ever walked into the presence of God in that position? And this is where you will. There's coming a time. When you see him face to face, the first thing that's going to cross your mind is, uh-oh. Boy, I hope that grace is working. And I hope I didn't leave the grace in my other britches. That's amazing stuff when you read that. And Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And Yahweh called to Moses from the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. So everybody's hearing it. And then Yahweh spoke, go down and warn the people so that they do not break through to Yahweh to gaze and that many would perish. If they just look at me, you know what happens? They die. They die. Also, now watch what happens here. Also let the priests who come near to Yahweh consecrate themselves or else Yahweh will break out against them. And Moses said to Yahweh, the people cannot come up on the mountain. You have warned us saying is set the bounds on the mountain and consecrate it. And then Yahweh said to him, go down and come up again. You and Aaron with you. Okay. Now watch. He's, he's making a statement here. Here's what has happened. I'm going to give you some old verses about it in chapter 13, verse two and chapter 24, verse five. You'll see that there were priests. Now who were the priests? Okay. There is no Levites. Okay. The first priest is who? Aaron. Okay, so who are these priests? Easy. Who's been dedicated to Yahweh? Firstborn. Every family would be the priest of the family. Okay, but now he's getting ready to show this is how we're going to do it. You know, it's it's like if you look at your outline, you'll see in chapter 25, verse 1 through chapter 31, the description of God's tabernacle. Please note. It is not his tabernacle. It is the description of his tabernacle. His tabernacle is not built until chapter 35 through 40. He describes it. Get ready. Here we go. And then he builds it. Okay, so in 24, 23 and 24, we see priests understand the law hasn't been given yet. So it's going to be the firstborn of each family who has been what? Dedicated to to God. It will be replaced by the Levites. Okay? You see that in Numbers chapter 3 verse 45. Okay? So we have the law of God. Look what he says. And he's verse 24. Then Yahweh says to him, go down and come up again. You and Aaron with you, but do not let the people do not let the priest and the people break through and come up to the Yahweh or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Okay, here's the key I want you to see in this text. What is the heart condition of a man when he goes before God? And what must he do before he goes before God? You see, this is one of those things when I'm teaching on Sunday morning, I'm teaching in my Sunday school class, I'm teaching on false teachers and the easy believism that we have in salvation. Listen, if you were standing there with that group of two million Jews at the bottom of Mount Sinai at that time, would you believe that salvation is easy? Why do we sell it so easy? I try to get people to understand. Do you understand you should be afraid? You need to be afraid. Why? God don't change. God don't change. Listen, if God isn't, doesn't have an issue over this, then why did it take the death of his son? And yet we are so flippant, so arrogant, so puffy about our quote-unquote Worship, or I'm studying this text, or I'm studying this book, or I'm studying this thing, or I didn't do this thing. And you know, you know what? I don't still don't see no praise hymns. Where are the choruses? Who's leading worship? Where's the worship leader? 
Where's the choir? God don't want a choir. God doesn't want a worship leader. God says, I want it done my way. And you know what's amazing about God? He don't change. He don't change. Listen, I showed you. I've already looked at it. When he crossed the Red Sea, they all came out singing. Absolutely. I would have too. Absolutely I would have sung. There's times I've been exposed to the Word of God and I just want to sing. And everybody says, don't do that. Shh. It's time to be quiet. No. But when I read that text right there, I understand that Moses, you think about Moses. Moses and God are sort of on a first name basis. And it says in the writer of Hebrews and then in Deuteronomy, it says Moses was terrified. He was full of fear and full of trembling. And God's already told him, you know, I'm Moses. I'm saying I ain't going up there. Why? This could be the end of it. I mean, he got me out. I got the Jews. I brought him out. And now, poof, smoke me. But he went. He was obedient. Why? Fear. Fear. This one I will have blessing against. Who is that? The one who heeds my word and fears. Do I fear? You know, and everybody says, well, what about grace and love and mercy and all the rest of it? Absolutely. But you can't take, well, I like these attributes of God and these I don't care so much about. God should scare us. And I see, I see a flippidness with God today. And we come together to quote unquote for a worship service to do what? To be in the presence of God. And do you, now listen, have you ever been in, in a worship service and start thinking, you know, I need to rotate my tires. And, let's see, what am I going to do for lunch today? And how long we've we been here? And all. Do you understand what you're doing? Have you ever thought about that? Gosh, he's talking long or he's talking loud or he's... Can we hurry up? I wonder how my kids are doing in the nursery. You ever thought about it? Do you understand that when the body of Christ comes together, there's only one purpose? You know the presence of God. The empowering of the saints for the work of ministry, which is the presence of God. We see the presence of God. We see the love of God. We see the mercy of God. We see the power of God, the exaltation of God. But why don't we fear it? And and we don't, listen, I'm starting to see attacks against the church today in America. And in my generation, we were crazy. My generation was just a bunch of loons. I mean, we had it all figured out and we didn't care what you thought about it. But we, 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 we marketed loony and, and, and sold it very well. And everybody, oh, I'll take some of that. Okay. But you know what? Even my generation had a, a, a fear or a reverence or whatever you want to call it for the church or them Bible thumpers. You know, just, just don't mess with them people. Okay. But you know what? I, that's gone now. And you know why? The church doesn't even fear God. Why? If the, the Christians who will be judged first don't fear God, why would lost people fear God? I, I mean, he's, he's almost like our drinking buddy. I mean, Jesus will go out and have a beer and a dog, maybe catch a Bronco game. Well, not anymore, are we? <laughs> Next year. And that ain't him. There needs to be an honest fear about God. Okay? Listen, I'm not talking about one of these, oh, Katie Barter door burying my head in the sand. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm sitting there going, whoa. Yeah. And a pure, holy going, uh-oh. I mean, that thing that says, you know, I am a sinful man, you know, sinful words are on my, my most righteous deeds are as... Filthy rags. 
That's Isaiah. Or Ezekiel going, woe is me. Or Paul saying, oh, what I saw, I can't even repeat. John saying, I have never eaten pepperoni again. No, he didn't say that. He's on. He says, write this down and don't forget any of it. And if you add to or take away from the plagues of this book will be added to. Ah, did I get it all? Okay. What happened to that? And, uh, I don't understand. You know what? That's one of the things I admire about the pastor in Russia. Then people know that. Then people know that because uh, they've heard of some of our scandals in, in the pastorate. And, and they said, that can't happen in Russia. It's impossible. He said, first of all, we'll kill them. But second of all, we don't ordain them that quick. You're going to have 10 years of service, and then you start getting ex- educated. So by the time you're ready for a pastor, he said, we got a number of men right now who are phenomenal preachers. We will not put them in the pastor because they're not humble. Okay, and then I thought, well, I, I, how do you get, what do you give a humble test? No. Humility is easy to see. On a planet that prides itself in itself, humility is easy to see. Why? You need to fear. Not many of you should be teachers. Why? Theirs is a harsher judgment. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know what? It ought to be enough to make you afraid. You know, it's like R.C. We watched R.C. Sproul last Sunday night. And he says, you know, so many people believe in God. He says, demons believe in God. So if you believe in God, at best, you're a demon. Now, wow, well, there's an interesting concept. But see what I mean? Do I set myself ready? Let's say I'm going to go to church tomorrow. Do I consecrate myself for what I'm getting ready to do? And then do I put on clean clothes or dirty clothes? <laughs> that one's always kind of fascinating to me. But if you got people out camping, you know, he'd been out walking a while. <laughs> but he said, I'm trying to get at there needs to be a time that when I get ready to go before God that I've searched myself. Okay, I don't need anybody to search me. I don't need anybody to prod me. I need to have searched myself. And every child of God needs to search themselves before they go. I mean, the church in Corinth, people were partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. What was happening to them? They were becoming weak. And some were dying. Why? They weren't taking it. Why? Do you understand what you're doing? And I see that. I see people who are arrogant. I see people who are bitter. I see people who, who are, are, are so concerned about themselves. Do you really understand what you're doing? You're going to go to God with an attitude. That always works well. Didn't Pharaoh do that? I think Nebuchadnezzar tried it. Um, Balaam did it. Um, you know, I can go down the list. Judas Iscariot had an attitude toward God. Um, Simeon or Simon uh, Bar Jesus had an attitude toward God, and God made him blind. Um, you know, let me buy the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get. But I, but I see this, you know, all over the place now, and it's the norm. It's the norm. And yet, we can go all the way back to the Book of Exodus, and God says, "Let me explain this to you." Coming into my presence is challenging. And you better pay attention. It's no different than Jesus telling you and I, um, when a man comes to salvation, he should count the cost. You know, he doesn't build a tower and he doesn't see how much it's going to cost. When, when he gets ready to go to a war, he doesn't figure out whether his army can whoop the other guy. Uh, he, he always weighs it out and, and, and makes sure. But understand this. He also warns us that there is a broad way and there's a narrow way. And the narrow way is there is to salvation. Why? Because the people who stood on the foot of that mountain were scared. Okay? And yet none of them, well, two, 
that were on that foot of that mountain entered in the promised land. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that, Lord, uh, even your servant Moses was, was afraid. Uh, Father, that is, uh, that's amazing. Father, to come into your presence, to, to draw to you who only spoke existence into being, to you who created time. Father, let us be overwhelmed by your presence. Let us be in awe of what you do. And Father, in some cases, may we be afraid. May we be fearful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for our Savior, Jesus. Father, thank you for paying a price that we have no ability. Father, may we, who are called by your name, walk in the power, the majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, for this year that is before us. Father, may we with great expectations long to see what you will do this year. Thank you, Father. Christ's name.